0: The title for this evening's talk is Practicing Intimacy. My point is that to practice meditation, which is what, of course, you've, we've, we've all come to do this weekend, is to practice intimacy. Intimacy, first and foremost, with ourselves, with our lives. And by the same token, intimacy with all that comes our way. Which, in truth, when we are open, includes echoes from the whole world. But we need to start at home. All this may sound, surely sounds like a tall order. To be invited to cultivate intimacy not just with ourselves but with our fellow humans, with our fellow living beings, in fact with the whole of existence. I mean, I'm not putting a limit to that. Wow! And yet, what ends up being most difficult is not to practice intimacy with others, but to practice intimacy with ourselves. Most of the, this difficulty has to do with being caught in the nets of the ego, which is most ent- which are most, stang- most entangled in the immediacy of self. So as we try to turn inwards in our initial steps, the obstacle appear unsurmountable. True, there are also, indeed we know very well, difficulties in trying to cultivate real intimacy with our fellow humans. But in this, at least, we have some experience. We've tried our hands repeatedly. Here, too, we very often get caught in the nets of the ego which is sure to disrupt any true attempt at intimacy. But in interpersonal relationships, at least, the interference of the ego is more easily spotted. And then there are our relationships with animals with which the interfering of the ego is much less pronounced. So let's start from there. Let's see how we connect with them. A couple of decades ago, I was uh, in charge of leading a meditation retreat at a place upstate called Phoenicia. The retreat was organized by Megan, the Open Center and had a variety of parallel workshops. And another teacher in that retreat was a storyteller, and so in my times off from teaching meditation, I drifted to her workshop. And I listened to a story that she told, story by Isaac Bashevis Singer, A story called Slatter the God. And I was stunned. Her story applied exactly to what I was trying to teach in my meditation workshop. True. I was inviting participants to go inside, as I invite you to go inside, while the storyteller, the story itself, had to do with connecting with someone, somebody other than ourselves. Same difference, right? Here's a story, and I'm going to Pretend I'm a storyteller. It's all pretense anyway. It was almost Hanukkah in this uh, little village in northern Europe. The weather had been unusually mild. For that time of the year. At that time, habitually, the roads were covered with snow, but not this year. That made a number of people very happy, but brought hardship to many others, particularly to Royven, the furrier. Because who would want to buy a fur in a weather like that? After mu- much hesitation, Royven decided to sell the goat, Slatty. The butcher in the nearby town had offered. Eight golden for Slatty. With that, they'd have spare money for buying candles, food, and presents for the holidays. So Royle told Aaron to take Slatty to the butcher. Aaron knew very well what that meant, but he had to obey his father. Leah, Aaron's mother, wiped a tear from her eyes. His younger sisters cried loudly, Aaron put a heavy jacket, a cap with uh, earmuffs, wrapped a rope around Slatter's neck, and took a sandwich for the road. Slatter, who took it all in her stride. Whatever was happening, she had never been harmed by human beings who had looked after her and, and fed her. Still as they walked out the house she was surprised by the direction they took and she turned back, looked at Aaron, as if saying, Where are you taking me? The sun was shining when we left the village. But very soon a dark ominous cloud started to appear in the east. Had a bluish center. And quickly It moved to cover the whole sky. The wind started to blow hard. The crows flew very low, croaking. And soon, hail started to fall. All this happened very quickly. It got so dark, it was hard to know whether it was night or or, or just a storm. And then the hail turned into snow, very heavy snow. In all his 12 years, Aaron had never seen anything like that. The wind would filter through his jacket and he had the foggiest idea where they were. Slatter was also 12 years old. And at, at the beginning, she was okay. But then her legs started to go deeper and deeper into the snow. And in, in her usual inquisitive way, again, she looked up at the Aaron and said, What's going on? They were really hopelessly lost. The icicles hanging from Slatter's beard. It wasn't an ordinary storm, but it was a blizzard. By now, the legs would sink into the snow above the knees. Slatter was wondering, how could her friend have brought her to this situation? Suddenly, looking ahead, Aaron saw uh, uh, something protruding from the snow, um, a monticle, whatever you call it, uh, funny shape. And so they, he took slacking that direction, and as he got close, he realized that it was a haystack covered with snow. He understood they were saved. Quickly, he dug through the snow, created... he caved a nest inside the haystack and they large enough for both of them to fit and they got in. Every once in a while, from inside, he had to clear the snow so that there'd there'd be fresh air coming up and they could breathe. Slater started to eat in no time. Aaron had finished his sandwich, but he was still hungry, and then he looked at Slater and saw her udders were full. He managed to twist his body and get his mouth underneath the udders and milk her directly into his mouth. It was sweet and tasty. Slathe was not used to being milked like that, but she was very happy too reward her friend for having brought her to this shelter whose walls, ceiling and floor were made out of food. Outside it was dark, couldn't tell whether it was day or night. But inside there was warmth. The bodily warmth, and the warmth from the fermentation of the hay. It was as if the summer had continued there. Aaron embraced Slatter, hugged Slatter, and spent a lot of time like that. Slatter was his family now. And he started talking to her. Slotty, he would say. What do you think of what happened to us now? Meh, <coughs> She said. Slotty, you know, if we hadn't found the haystack, we'd be frozen stiff now. <coughs> <coughs> What does me me mean? (laughs) And slatters him. Me This time Aaron thought he understood. And what he understood is that we have to take in whatever comes our way. This heat or cold, light or dark, hunger or satisfaction. For three days, the two of them stayed together in that small space of the haystack. Aaron had always loved Slatty, but never as much as this time. Slatty fed him and kept him warm. Aaron told her stories. And stories, you know, are the storyteller's way of expressing love. in hearing those stories, would prick her ears. And, uh, and then, when uh, Aaron patted her, he'd lick his hands and his face. And she would say, of course, meh! Which was her way of expressing all her love. For three days the snow fell fell nonstop. And Aaron had a sense that the snow had always fallen. He felt that he had no other family besides Slatter, like, no father, no mother, no sisters that he was a child of the snow and that so was Slatty born of snow time had stopped on the third night there was no more snow falling. In the morning Aaron heard a, the bell of a sleigh. He rushed quickly out and stopped the sleigh and asked for directions to his village. Not to the butcher of course. In the meantime All his family and friends had been looking, desperately looking for them. Couldn't find them. His mother and sisters had cried all the time. His father had been silent and grim. Suddenly, somebody says... They are coming! They are coming! And there were Aaron and Slotty coming up the road. Everybody was so happy. They embraced Aaron and Aaron told him then what had happened. And how Slotty had fed him and kept him warm. So his sisters quickly prepared a, a treat of chopped carrots for a slatty. Nobody ever again thought of taking her to the butcher. No, no. On the contrary, she was part of the family now. And once in a while, Aaron would ask her, Slatty, do you remember the three days we spent together?" And Slatty would scratch the back of her neck with her, her horn, shake her beard, her white beard sideways, and come out with the one sound that expressed all her thoughts and all her love. So maybe you do understand why I felt such uh, affinity with the storyteller doing the retreat. Just the same thing. Just the same thing. It's very much they, Aaron and Slatter, enjoyed the first, for the enjoyed the very same intimacy that we can enjoy in sitting with the rest of ourselves as we turn into our in a haystack. I have only one problem with this story, and perhaps you would understand me. I mean, mean, it's it's absurd, but then again, it's a literary uh, license, but Mr. Singer should know, as we all know, that if we are going to spend in the same place, three days eating, the stuff has to come out. (laughs) (laughs) And this is not just an accident. It's a very important part of life. You need to eliminate, you need to excrete the stuff that doesn't belong there. They are meaning in our body. Our bodies are made that way. Same thing in the practice. Sometimes we produce an incredible amount of excrement, mental excrement in the practice. Stuff that we have been keeping locked down in ourselves. And it comes out. And, by golly, it's got to come out. It may mess up things around us, sure, a little bit, just like in the haystack, surely. (laughs) There must have been some mess there. But, by golly, you need to do it. All right? After you do it, then you can have a clean slate. Not before. Intimacy with animals is, of course, not just the stuff of fiction. But it takes place throughout our lives. Let me share with you this account of a primatologist. Her name is Barbara Smuts, who spent years in uh, Tanzania, in the Gombe area, living with the baboons. Here's something she says. Once I was traveling with baboons at Gombe. I lost the troop during a terrific downpour. Pour. Far from camp, I ran to the lake shore and crawled into an abandoned fisherman's shelter for protection. The inside of the hut was pitch dark, but I soon realized I was not alone. About 30 baboons were crowded into a space the size of an average American kitchen. When I entered, some baboons must have moved slightly to make room for me, just as they would for one of their own, but they didn't move far. Baboons surrounded me and some of them brushed against me as they shifted their positions. The rain continued. The hut was filled with the clover-like smell of the breath and our body he transformed the hut into a sauna. I felt as if I'd been sitting this way in the heart of the baboon circle my whole life. As I could... as if I could be doing this forever. You know, it it made me think again of the story of Aaron and Slatty. When he felt that having spent three days there he had been there all his life because time can stop and then she goes on One experience I especially treasure the Gombe baboons were traveling to the sleeping trees late in the day, moving slowly down a stream with many small, still pools, a route they often traversed. Without any signal perceptible to me, each baboon sat at the edge of a pool on one of the many smooth rocks that lined the edge of the stream. They sat alone or in, in small clusters, completely quiet, gazing at the water. Even the perpetually noisy juveniles fell into silent contemplation. I joined them. Half an hour later, Again, with no perceptible signal, they resumed their journey in what felt like the, an almost sacramental procession. I was stunned by this mysterious ex- expression of what I have come to think of uh, as a baboon sangha. She uses this expression. Although I spent years with baboons, I wis- witnessed this only twice, both times at Gombe. I have never heard another primatologist recount such an experience. I sometimes wonder if, on these two occasions, I was granted a glimpse of a dimension of baboon life that do not normally expose to people. In the same article, Barbara Smuts recounts her relationship with her dog, Safi. Now, not in Gombe anymore, but at her home. <coughs> Safi's most extraordinary expression of empathy occurred one day when she was just over a year old barely out of puppyhood. I was feeling very low, unable to shake my despairing mood. I took Safi to the woods, hoping this would cheer me up. For a while, we played fetch with sticks in the river, her favorite game. Soon, she refused to go after the stick. Which was unheard of. I kept trying to entice her to play, but she just stood in the water looking at me. Finally, she moved to an island in the stream about 30 feet from the ground, from the bank where I stood, and lay down facing me. Her penetrating gaze caught my attention, and I sat down to face her. She held her body completely still and continued to hold my gaze. Looking into her eyes, my body relaxed. A face became the world, and I seemed to fall into her being as vaguely aware of people in canoes passing behind her on the other side of the island. As I noticed her ears rotate to track them but her eyes and her body remained motionless. She held her position in my gaze for about 20 minutes and then quietly approached and lay down next to me. My dark mood This was my first lesson in meditation. I took it to heart and began to practice regularly, usually outside. Whenever I sat in meditation posture, Safi would move about 10 feet away, lie down facing me, and gaze into my eyes. After gazing back for a brief time, I would close my eyes and surrendered to the rhythm of my breath. When I opened them again, she was always in the same place and always looking at me. After about two weeks, something new occurred. Our meditation began the same way, but when I opened my eyes, Safi was sitting right next to me, facing in the direction I was facing. Ever since that moment, whenever I meditate outside, I open my eyes to find her next to me. Although during meditation my senses are finely attuned, I had never once heard heard her approach. I don't know how she does it. Mm -hmm. What a meditation teacher, right? Safi should be sitting right here. So much then for our ability to tune in to become intimate with our fellow animals in the jungle, in the home even inside a haystack. Why then is it so difficult to practice with our fellow humans. Of course, as I mentioned, the ego shows up there and creates difficulties. One form that can take... Well, rightly, among humans, there is a powerful window to connect with others offered by sexuality. A window that's powerful, but is full of limitations as well and can be misguided when guided just by craving. And then, at another level, there are all those social locations, of course, where we engage in conversations. And yes, conversation can be the gate to intimacy. But more often than not, It's a substitute for it. So, again, the main, the fundamental difficulty is that an attempt to connect deeply with others often get caught in the gamemanship gamemanship of the eye. And so, our conversations, instead of gates to our hearts, just easily become, become pawns in this game. And yet, of course, we also can truly and deeply connect with each other. Yes, we can. We can do it one-to-one. And we can do it among many. The Zen teacher from Vietnam, originally from Vietnam, Thich Nhat Hanh, nicknamed Thai, is fond of saying, in order to fully be, we need to inter-be with others. We need to practice collective Intimacy with others. It is then it is then that our mind can become an echo chamber for the mind of others as well, instead of the habitual ego or ego chamber that it is, that entrusts us. So, when we can open that way, then we can indeed become intimacy, intimate with our fellow humans. And how about the crucial item here, being truly intimate with ourselves? Here again, games of the eye are the main obstacle. As we look inside, the eye, if we give it a chance, nags us to dedica- dedicate ourselves to building up our persona, to build up the character that's going to represent us. If we yield to that demand, eh, there's no possibility of intimacy. But if we come to see, even if that demand is there, if we come to see through the ego games, then the practice of self-intimacy becomes possible. We have to work at it, of course. At times, in order to access this inner intimacy, we may need to fend off all distractions and getting into a capsule like situation, like this silence, with ourselves, without anybody sort of trespassing our tranquility. much as Aaron and Slater had to get into the capsule of the haystack (coughs) to become intimate with each other. And also, not just the the meditation hall itself, but also our ability to narrow the focus of our attention, say, to focus on the sensations in our nostrils that accompany our breath. So, in this way We keep the mind from straying into the habitual stream of concatenated thoughts. In the end, of course, this is not a limitation, but a way, a stage in in our effort to intensify our connection with each experience. Furthermore, as a narrow focus permits us to fully connect with each sensation, it also allows us to open the gate for the trove of what lies behind its sensation. Say we connect with the sensations of the breath. Eventually, this may be the gate to be connected to the rhythms of our mind. Say we connect with the sensations of our heart, then we may be opening the gate to the richness of our feelings. And so, our whole inner life begins to reveal itself and trample by thoughts. And so, our mind turns away from preconceived notions and opens up to being aware to what it actually senses, both inside and also receiving the echoes from the world around us. Much as as Aaron's heart was open to receive all kinds of other echoes after having spent that time with Slater. That's what the practice does it opens up to receive the essence of our involvement with life which is love and connectivity. And that in order to discover it we have to experience it first hand. Let's sit for a few minutes in silence, please. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.